Amen. Thank you. Uh, good morning. I'm glad to see so many of you here this morning. It is, uh, if you've not noticed, officially summer. Uh, I know that when, if I walk from this building to that building, I feel like I need to take a shower uh, once I'm over there. Um, so I know everybody's schedules are going crazy uh, and uh, graduation and all of those kinds of things. What a great time for us to get together and talk about rest and what it means for Jesus to give us rest. And that's exactly what we have before us this morning. We want to talk uh, from the passage in Matthew 11 and 12. We're in a series walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've reached this point in this Gospel where Jesus says to us, and, and beautiful words really that caused me to just uh, to, to try to breathe deeply and to uh, weep because I so desperately need what Jesus offers. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Uh, and so we want to talk about that this morning. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with us, you're welcome to do that. If you don't, don't worry, it's printed for you in your worship folder, and also it will be on the screen behind me as we look and see what Jesus has to say to us about this rest and then about the Sabbath and how the Sabbath helps us in that. So let's read together from God's Word this morning, beginning in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here? And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there. And entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. He said to them, Which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. Watch this. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how they might destroy him. Uh, this is God's word. You might think, didn't we read this last week? Didn't we do this last week? Yes. Uh, there was no rest for me last Sunday afternoon after we talked about rest on Sunday morning. Because I felt like uh, there was so much that wasn't we weren't able to say. This, this, this concept, uh, I have labored. I was up late last night. I was here early this morning trying to figure out how to wrap my head around this because it is such, in, in reality, it is such a foreign concept to me, this idea of rest. And I don't find most, no offense, most Christians to be very helpful because when I talk to them about these things, they say things like this, well, let go and let God. What does that mean? You know, or, well, just be still. Okay, I have four kids. I, you know, and I just so I, I just I, I think 
in the way that we talk about these kinds of things, I don't think you know very much about it either. So it makes me feel better, but it makes me really, really heavily uh, approach this text and think that we've got to figure these things out. So we're going to come back and try to do it again. Okay? So basic summary of last week. Jesus says there in verse 28 of Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are laboring. That's a word that means those who are weary from their work. All you who are laboring and heavy laden. In other words, those who live feeling as if the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Jesus is inviting those who are weary and heavy laden to come. He's saying in that if you can live, you can live as if everything depends upon you. You can live with an overestimation of the sense of responsibility, you know. You can wear yourself out trying to do everything right and order your world perfectly. You can work yourself to death trying to provide security for your family and it'll kill you. It'll destroy your joy. You'll be miserable. And if that's you, if you're weary, if you, like me, live, and I described it this way last week, this white noise of anxiety in your life then Jesus invites you to come to him to find rest. But, you see, when Jesus says rest, don't think a Corona commercial, don't think an under-the-cover Sunday afternoon, afternoon nap. Jesus is describing a sense of uh, delight or a, a deep, utter satisfaction and joy, a sense of fulfillment and purpose in whatever it is you might be doing, a calmness. And this is the part, you know, a, this is just completely... An alien idea. This, this calmness of heart in life that's irrespective of circumstances that comes from knowing that God's love loves you and that it's his job to provide, provide for you. And what Jesus is trying to teach us, teach, excuse me, I can't talk. What Jesus has been trying to teach us all along in Matthew's gospel is that salvation is by grace, that it's a gift, that it's not something that you can earn or purchase. We saw that last week too. That the kingdom of heaven is a gift given to the least deserving and withheld from the most deserving. And that's the way the gospel works. The wise and the understanding and the beautiful and the powerful, they miss it. But the poor and the weak, the little children, those are the ones who get it. And you should know this about yourself, that your flesh, there's something in you called the flesh. And your flesh is always resisting this idea of grace and trying to go back into the law, go back into religion. It's always leaving the truth of the gospel and trying to go back into self-salvation mode and trying to go into moralism and try to attain salvation through work. And Jesus says there's no rest in that. No rest in that. And so one of the ways we've got to train our hearts to repent of all of our strivings, as the song we sang a minute ago says, and to embrace this rest that Jesus offered us is exactly what Jesus turns us to here, this Forced habit of Sabbath keeping, the spiritual practice of taking one day in seven to rest. And that's what this passage is about. So I want to approach it uh, for this purpose, to help us practice Sabbath well. In other words, my main goal is not to provide a theology of the Sabbath, because I don't think that was really Jesus' main goal here. As much as it is, I want to help us hear Jesus and obey him. That's my goal this morning, because after all, that's what Matthew is interested in. He wants us to hear, listen to Jesus' words and put them into practice. He wants us to become disciples. And so how do we disciple ourselves to Jesus in this matter of rest? That's what we've got to look at this morning. And how does the practice of Sabbath play into that? So three things that we want to see in regards to the Sabbath. You'll see them as the three points in your outline this morning. The Lord of the Sabbath. We want to take a look at the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Secondly, the rest of the Sabbath. And then thirdly, the work of the Sabbath, because I believe all of those things are here. And I believe that looking at them will help us uh, get a little bit closer to, um, to what Jesus calls us to here, okay? So let's just start here. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. What are the implications of that for how we live uh, as disciples? So um, I don't know if you're reading community Bible reading with us. Uh, but in our community Bible reading this week, we read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and, and it's a really great passage. And Paul, who's a hero of mine, you know, and, and is really probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, he describes a time in his life where he was weary and heavy laden. And he describes it this way from 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. Just listen to his words. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we, feel, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we even despaired of life itself and felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, that's a dark place to be. Right? I mean, that's, that's week five of being first-time parents when you can't get the baby to sleep. Anybody with me? Oh, I'm despairing of life. Um... But if you find yourself there, like I did this week, completely overwhelmed to the point of despair, what we're going to learn and what we're going to see here is, is you can trace it back. It really is because you've moved off of the gospel of grace and somewhere in your heart you move back into this principle of moralism and religion. You've forgotten that it's God's job to take care of you. He's the one that provides for you and you've started to think that it's all up to you and you've got to figure it out in your own strength and yet the burden is beyond your strength to bear and that's where the despair comes from. You just begin to fall to pieces. And so I need to explain that a little bit. And I want to just say it this way. There are two different approaches to rest that you can see in this passage. One is this idea that work leads to rest. Work leads to rest. And so I have a list of things and I've got to get all those done. And if I can get everything done that's on my list and if I can put all... Everything in order, then maybe on the other side of all of that work, that exhausting work, I can find rest. So work leads to rest. Or the second option is that maybe there's a rest that leads to work. Is it that work leads to rest, or is it that rest leads to work? And that's what's going to be contrasted here in Jesus versus the Pharisees as it plays out. Now, you see, in these verses, Jesus' disciples in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12, they get caught breaking the rules on the Sabbath day. As they walk through the grain field, you'll you see there, they begin to pluck the heads of grain and to eat them. Now, remember this metaphor of yoke that we've been talking about? Every rabbi had a yoke. They had a set of rules and practices and procedures and, and all these guidelines that tried to interpret the law and to apply it to unique circumstances. So, uh, for example, the Sabbath command was to do no work. But, you know, what is work? And so we need to define what work is. And in most of the yokes of the day, what the disciples were doing here would have been considered work. According to the legalistic, pharisaic interpretation of the rabbis, they were actually harvesting. And so the Pharisees charged them with breaking the Sabbath by performing work. didn't matter that they were hungry. They were breaking the rules. That was the big deal. They were breaking the rules. And you see, the Jewish religious leaders were what we would call legalists or moralists. And moralism is just this. It's a principle that says if you follow all the rules and you do everything exactly the way you should, then God will love you and bless you. Work hard. Be good. And on the other side of that, then you will get the life you want. But see, what's exposed in that is that underneath, in moralism, underneath all the work, no matter what it is you're doing, underneath the work is 
another work. There's a work that's underneath all of our work that's happening. That this, this work of trying to provide for ourselves apart from God, trying to to count or to put it in theological terms, to earn a righteousness for ourselves, as my my dad prayed earlier, or, or you know, trying to do good things so that God will love us, and that's the cause of our weariness. Jesus says. It's this idea that we can work hard enough, that we can follow the rules closely enough, that we can be good enough, that we can be religious enough, and then we can feel good about ourselves. That was the religious framework of the Pharisees. That's what they're committed to. It's all about the rules. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably experienced this at some point. But here's what I want to say. Even if you're not a Christian, if you're, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, uh, you're maybe here and you're investigating or trying to figure these things out, I want to say that we believe at some deep level, every single one of us, Christian or not, in this room, we are conscious of God's law and of our failure to keep it. And so whether, whether long-time Christian or professed agnostic, there's something in us that tells us deep inside that we know we should be perfect and we aren't. We know we need a righteousness and we don't have it. And so we try to prove ourselves. We try to, we try to bear the burden of our, we try to, to really do good to, to earn a righteousness for ourselves and that's where the restlessness and the weariness comes from. That's where Paul's burden comes from. So it works this way. And I hope this resonates with you. I feel guilty or I feel weak. I feel vulnerable. Okay? And so I work. I get to work to try to do something about that, to try to prove myself. I work to provide for myself. But the problem is, is all of my work doesn't take away my guilt. It doesn't take away my fear. And so after the work, I feel even less, you know, I don't feel less vulnerable. So what I do is I work harder, and I work harder, and I work harder, and pretty soon I realize no amount of work helps, and that's where just the weariness and the despair comes. You see, but Jesus says there's only one place to find rest from this constant work that is underneath all our work, and you have to come to him. See, you find rest by turning away from legalism and moralism and believing in the gospel. You see, the reason Jesus is so offensive to the Pharisees is that he acts as if his disciples breaking the rules is just irrelevant. You see that? I mean, it's great. He doesn't even legitimize the Pharisees' concern. He makes a simple argument that I want to come back to in a little bit. Let me just sum it up here. He says the point he's making with the story about King David and his men in Matthew 12, verses 3 through 5, is that the rules, you know, Pharisees thought the rules, it was all about the rules. Jesus is saying the rules are not the most important thing. In the case of David, the king and his needs and his mission were more important than the rules. And Jesus says if that's true of David, it's even more true of me. It's even more true of him and his mission. Because look at verse 8. He calls himself, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the King of Kings. They're all concerned about the rules of Sabbath keeping. And Jesus comes in and says, you're concerned about the wrong thing. You're concerned about the rules of Sabbath keeping. You're missing the Lord of the Sabbath. And I think that means a couple of things. I think it's a statement of his authority over the Sabbath that that he is sovereign over it, that he stands above the Sabbath and, and makes demands and can reapply and reinterpret it however he wants to. The Sabbath doesn't stand above him and make demands upon him. He's the true king and his mission is of ultimate importance. So he has the authority to declare what the rules are for observing the day. And that's why they conspire to kill him. But I think also it's a statement, this statement, Lord of the Sabbath, it's a statement of his fulfillment of the Sabbath, that all the Sabbath was doing, 
all the rest that the people were to seek, all of it was pointing to him. That the Sabbath is really about him and that he is the end of all the legalistic law keeping. That the issue, in other words, if here's what here's at bottom line what we really believe to be true of Christianity is that the issue is no longer whether or not you follow the rules. The issue is whether or not you're rightly related to him. See, the issue is not about the rules. It's not about whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. The issue is about whether or not you are rightly related to the Lord of the Sabbath. Are you rightly related to him? See, that's the question. And what Jesus says is, and this is great, if you ask, if you ask the scientists, they'll tell you, that in, in the matter of you know sleep, it's not the length of the length of sleep that's the most important thing. It's the depth of sleep. You can sleep for ten hours and sleep fitfully all night long and wake up not feeling refreshed because what the human body needs is not a length of sleep. What they're telling us now is this REM sleep that there's a depth of sleep that we that we desperately need for our bodies to be refreshed. And Jesus is saying, Jesus, I mean, he's saying there is a spiritual REM. There's a deep rest. That can really refresh you, but it only comes from turning away from legalism and moralism and believing in the gospel. And that's what he's trying to get at. See, you see, Jesus is saying this. He's trying to show us. He's trying to help us see that we're all already yoked to something. That we all have something we're looking to to bring us rest. We all have something we're relying on to deal with this need to constantly be proving ourselves. We're all looking to something to give us a righteousness, to make us feel like we're worthy, like we're okay. And it could be a marriage, it could be kids or some other relationship or financial security or the work of the approval of other people or work. And Jesus says, if you try to find your significance in any of these things, they'll eventually run you over. You'll, you'll be tied to it and pretty soon you'll look like, um, you know, me on the tube in back of Josh's boat yesterday being slung around everywhere he decided to throw me. I mean, you, you tie yourself to it, and it's going to run away with you. It's going to run you over. And Gene can amen that, probably, because he was on it with me. But you see, if you yoke yourself to success at work, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll, it, it, it'll, just, it'll drive you into the ground. If you yoke yourself to the approval of other, other people, I know this firsthand, you'll overcommit, you'll never say no, and you'll end up in a vegetative state in front of the television at 11 o'clock at night. Because it'll just destroy you. But you see, the gospel, what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is that by faith we are, look at that word in verse 28, 29 again, that we are yoked, we are tied. A yoke ties you to something. And in the gospel we believe that the yoke means that we are tied to Jesus in his work. That when we yoke ourselves to him, we get tied to him. We get brought into his work and therefore we can rest well. You see, because Jesus has sacrificed himself to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God the Father. That's what we've been singing about. He has taken our sins upon himself and paid the penalty with his own blood so that we could be forgiven. Jesus offers us a righteousness that is not our own, not based upon our record, but upon his record of perfect obedience. And if your faith is in Jesus, then in God's eyes you are clothed in his perfection. And I want to just say, you can't possibly improve upon that. You can't improve upon Jesus' obedience. So rest. Right? Just, you know, and then you want, I want to just yell, stop. Just stop. Stop it. You know, just do it. Just rest. Just, just stop. 
Stop working so hard to prove yourself. Stop killing yourself so that you can count. You already count. You have nothing to prove. And if your faith is in Him, then you're tied to Him and His work. So that what goes for Him goes for you. God considers your sins as forgiven, as if you had died on the cross to pay for them yourself. And He delights in you as if you had done everything that Jesus has done. And the result of that is you don't have to finish first. You can finish second or tenth. You know, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to win. You don't have to change the world. You can just be faithful. You don't have to be the perfect parent or raise perfect kids or have the perfect life. You don't have to pitch a perfect game. How about that this week? Where did that response in that guy come from? I mean, I just marveled at that and repented. You know, you don't have to be strong or competent or successful. You don't have to have all the answers. You can just be weak. You can just rest. You see, the rest comes from hoping in Jesus and being confident in His love and not meticulously following all the rules and being confident of your moral record. There's not rest in that. Only Jesus can give you the rest your heart needs. And see, that's what Sabbath is about. On the cross, Jesus cried out, we said this last week, it is finished. And for Christians, it is. It's finished. And there's a real rest on the other side of Jesus' work. And the writer of Hebrews says that, if, that we should strive in Hebrews 4, strive to enter into it. And if we enter into it, then we will rest from all of our strivings. We'll rest from all of our work as God rested from His. In other words, we can find rest from the work underneath all of our work that will begin to be a pervasive emotional reality in all of the different facets of our lives. But we have to strive to find it. We have to pursue it. We have to find it through faith and repentance. And so we need a spiritual discipline to help us, to train us, right? To train us, to turn away from all of our strivings and to come to Jesus and find rest. And that's exactly what the Sabbath is. It's a day, one in seven, in which we refuse to pick up the yokes we're harnessed to the rest of the week. A day, one in seven, where we just stop. But listen, Sabbath... As Jesus explains it here, the Sabbath is not just another another rule to be kept. It's not just another burden. It's not another yoke. There's a greater concern than the institution of the Sabbath. And the Gospel writers put it this way, and I wish it was in this passage, but it's not, so we need to borrow it. And they would say things like this. Jesus, They would quote Jesus as saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And another way of saying that would be something like this, that we're not to be enslaved to the Sabbath. It's there to help and to serve us. So get out of your mind some puritanical approach to Sabbath where, you know, the goal is to make sure you don't have any fun. And I want us to really start thinking about it this way. If you go way back to Genesis at the very beginning, when God rested on the seventh day of creation, it doesn't mean he stopped creating. Most of the commentators say that God's rest there in Genesis 1 is his utter satisfaction over what he had made. He said it is good. And he delighted and he rested in the goodness of the creation. There was a peace and a joy that he felt in the perfection of it all. God's rest is his delight. And that means that the Sabbath, one day in seven, should be a day for pursuing delight and satisfaction, peace and joy in him. And so I want to try to lead us toward considering the Sabbath, or what we would call the Lord's Day, as a forced spiritual discipline for the pursuit of delight in God. And so I've offered three questions there for you to just ask yourself as you seek to move towards faithfulness in this area. And I've asked these of my wife for working through this together. But I think these would be helpful. If you think about the need to rest and the rest being just delight and satisfaction, then just, I would would encourage you to take this home 
And just think about this and, be, and what you can begin to move towards in this. So first, what things, activities, relationships cause you to delight in God to the greatest degree? What do you just enjoy for God's sake? Secondly, what are the activities, events, relationships that you aren't able to do on a daily basis that you'd like to have more time for? And I just ask the question, what do you need to start doing? And then if there's things you need to start doing, then, then that implies, number three, what things, activities, relationships do you need, do you give time and energy to on a daily basis that don't allow you to give time and energy to the above? In other words, if there are things you need to start doing, then time, you know, we don't believe, time doesn't multiply itself, then you're going to have to stop doing other things. All for the pursuit of joy. I love, I'll share just Ashley's answer to this last question because I think it's so, she stated it so well. When I, when I asked, you know, what things, what do we give time and energy on a daily basis to that don't allow us to give time and energy to the above, she just put it this way. She said, maybe we could just do everything a little less so we can do nothing more often. I thought, man, that's good. Maybe we could just do everything a little less so that we could do nothing more often. Maybe that's what he's calling us to, this pursuit of delight. But you see, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and that means there's a rest that waits for us in our practice of the Sabbath day that seeps into the rest of the week. But it also means there's work for us to do, too. Remember, Jesus offers us rest, but only we only find his rest when we take his yoke. In other words, he offers us a rest that leads to a work. And this is where Jesus' Sabbath teaching really diverges from the Pharisees and religious leaders in this passage. Pharisees were really focused on what was prohibited on the Sabbath. Jesus is very concerned about what work is required of us. And so the blessing of the rest Jesus gives us comes with great responsibility. Uh, And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And there's just two things that I want to finish up by saying from this passage. Two things. First, I think that means he can teach us what the work is. So one of the commentators I read this week put it this way. He says, Jesus is saying that he, being who and what he is, can declare what the rules for observing Sabbath are. It must be immediately added that in this context, this does not mean simply that Jesus has the authority to relax harsh restriction. He, the Lord of the Sabbath, shows what the observing of the Sabbath really means. He determines how the principle of Sabbath observance is worked out. And we see it in this beautiful phrase in chapter 12, verse 7. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is the work. You see, what happens in these two stories Matthew puts together to thematically deal with the Sabbath, is that the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, and I'm just, I'm slain by this, they're so focused on and concentrated on the rules that they completely miss the people and the stories and the need all around them. So the first scene, Matthew 12, 1 through 8, we see there in verse 1, the disciples are hungry. So they have a legitimate need. They're hungry. They're hungry. And Jesus tells a story about David and his men as they were fleeing from King Saul and they were hungry. And they came to the house of God and they asked the priest for the bread. Now, the, the, the bread that they asked for was bread that was only lawful for priests to eat. So the rule was it was holy bread. It was forbidden to be eaten by anyone other than the priest. There was a rule that God had instituted that this bread could only be eaten by priests. And yet David asked for it and it was given to him and so he intentionally broke the rule that God had established and yet look at verse 5 and verse 7 Jesus says he was guiltless I mean now that would have been utterly scandalous to the Pharisees but Jesus' point is this is that there is something more important than following all the rules and that's mercy and compassion literally 
Hunger trumps ceremonial law. Like David, Jesus' disciples were hungry. And in any rule, Jesus says, that refuses hungry people food is not a good rule because it's not compassionate. And it's the same in the second case. Look at this in Matthew 12, 9. This is my favorite. There's a man with a withered hand. He has a legitimate need, right? He's not whole. And in verse 10, the question the Pharisees ask is no joke. They really... I mean, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know? Is the Pope Catholic? I mean, you know, I, you know, come up with whatever, you know. What? I mean, they, they really believed it was criminal to heal somebody on the Sabbath because, again, it would be considered work. I mean, they were so committed to the ceremonial function of the Sabbath that they considered it their duty and obligation to God to not help those in need. How twisted is that? And Jesus has to correct them. He says, that's, that's what Sabbath is about. It's about meeting needs. It's about bringing rest. It's about doing good. It's showing mercy, bringing shalom. This is what this whole day, this is what this whole thing's about, guys. And Jesus summarizes all of it in this quote from Hosea 6.6. 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, and it's the second time he's quoted it, so it must be pretty important to him. And he says, the reason the Pharisees are so confused about this is they don't understand the statement in Hosea. And in the original context, Hosea 6 God is bringing an indictment against his people for their upside-down priorities. They are, in many ways, diligent in their worship. They say all the right things in their prayers. They perform the right um, required ceremonies. But it's all done in such a way that they're joyless and self-righteous and hard-hearted. They dutifully present their sacrifices to God. But there's no love and joy in their hearts and no compassion and mercy toward their needy neighbors. And Jesus means that this is an ever-present danger in religious circles. And what he desires more than religious ritual is mercy toward the weak and the needy. That's true religion, he says. The rules are not the most important thing. The man with the withered hand, he's the most important thing. You see that? The rules are not the most important thing. The disciples and their hunger, that's what's important. That's what I really want you to go and be about. You see, the law was meant to teach us to love, and the rules are there to help us to love, but we can twist them and turn them into hindrances rather than helps. And at that point, Jesus teaches us they should be forsaken. But not only, see, not only does his being Lord of the Sabbath mean he can teach us what work needs to be done, it means also that he can energize us for that work. You see, the gospel is not only Am I tied to him in his work and therefore I can rest? But the gospel, the second half of the gospel is this, he's tied to me in my work and therefore I can really work. You see, when you believe in him and when you follow him, he ties himself to you so that his authority and his power and all of his resources can flow from him through you into your work, whatever it may be. It's not. It's not just that Jesus can teach you to love. He is love. And when you believe in him, he can come into your life and start to live his life through you. In the power of His Spirit, He can love through you. But what we need to see is if you're not already resting, if you're not already resting in Jesus, you won't have the energy for love. Because see, what will happen is is all of your good works and even your deeds of mercy, they'll be sacrifices. They'll just be sacrifices. They'll be ways of, of getting God to pay attention to you. You'll do them to, as my dad said, build a spiritual resume for yourself. And that was the ultimate problem with the Pharisees. They were dutiful. They were careful in their obedience, but it was all self-serving. It was just about them. They were completely self-absorbed. There's no love for other people. And Jesus says, that won't do. I desire mercy. I mean, Jesus desires obedience that is completely absent from self-regard, that takes into consideration the needs and desires of others because love 
is the real goal, and only the gospel can do that. And so again, applications for the Sabbath, we need a spiritual discipline then to help us and to train us to turn away from self-centeredness and to live compassionately. And that's what, exactly what the Sabbath is. Because on the Sabbath, we not only enjoy the rest Jesus gives us, but we have a responsibility to bring it to those who don't know it. To find the weary and the heavy laden in our city and to help them come to Jesus. It's a day, one in seven, in which we work to break the yokes of oppression and pursue justice. One day in seven where we give time to the work that is so easy to never get to. And so again, I ask you three questions there in your outline. Again, this is homework. But just think through, what are the activities, relationships, etc. does God specifically command you to engage in on the Sabbath? And what are the specific commands, spiritual practices, relationships, etc. that you aren't able to do on a daily basis that you would like to have more time doing? What do you need to start doing Some of my examples, community Bible reading, being more faithful in that, journaling, prayer, attending worship, or going to community group, or caring for the poor, or visiting the sick or the elderly, or going to see my grandparents, praying for missionaries, neighboring the people who live next to me. And so then, what things, activities, relationships do you need, do you give time and energy to on a daily basis that don't allow you to give time and energy to the above? So again, if if there's work Jesus calls us to, then wisdom would teach us that there's stuff we have to stop doing in order to start doing what he calls us to. You see, this is meant to be very practical and a practical follow-up to last week, but if we have any hope of finding real rest, it's going to take a reordering of our entire lives. I mean, a reordering of our entire lives. And that, quite honestly, can feel a little bit overwhelming, so maybe we should just begin with one day. Maybe we should begin with reordering one day. And if we're going to have any hope of completing the work Jesus has given us of mercy and compassion in our city, it's going to take a radical repentance. And that can just feel intangible and too big. So maybe, again, maybe there's wisdom in saying, let's start with one day. And maybe on that day, we can come to know the Lord of the Sabbath and stop our moralistic strivings. Maybe on that one day, we truly can find rest. And maybe on that one day, we really can get busy with the work he's called us to do. That's Sabbath keeping. The rules are not the most important thing. Are you rightly related to him? And how's that affect how you approach the day? Oh, man, I pray God helps us find rest. And I pray he gives us energy to get busy with the work. So let's pray those things together this morning as we prepare to come to his table. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that as we come to gather now to partake of this supper that you have provided for us, that we would that we would just stop. And in the quietness of the moment, that you would put our hearts at rest. In the quietness of this moment right here, right now, in this time, at this place, that you would just give us grace, that we would that we who are weary and heavy laden would come and that we would find rest. As we uh, eat and drink together now, would you come and would you drive home the reality of the gospel to our hearts? And we pray this because we so desperately need you to do this work in us. And we pray for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I would like to reiterate what Jonathan has said, although I would say we have about 75 pieces of chicken over there. So if everybody in the room came, we'd run out of food. We need a miracle. Jesus needs to multiply.
it was bread in the New Testament. Maybe it's fried chicken now. I don't know. Maybe he can do that. Um, but if you are new to our church and you're not yet plugged into a community group, you've been coming maybe for the last few months, we, we sent invitations to most of you that we had on record anyway. We would, we would, we'd love to have you join us for lunch. Uh, we're going to just share a little bit about what community groups are and introduce you to some of the community group leaders and hopefully allow you to, to meet some people. So if you'd like to join us, we're going to be over there. Uh, now, uh, bec- the, oh, the wonderful cross. Because on the cross, the wrath of God against sin fell down upon Jesus. That's the reason why I can raise my hands to you now in this benediction, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, to say he, he took your wrath and now uh, you receive his blessing. That's the way the gospel works. So as you go, and I, I pray today and tomorrow and this week, uh, as you go and, and learn to rest, and as you go and learn from Jesus the work, that he's called you. The food for your soul is his body broken for you and his blood shed for you and hearing the words, the affirmation of the Father pronounced over your life and that's exactly what the benediction is. So allow this to feed your soul in turn from all your strivings to rest in him as you hear what the Father has to say. So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.